Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. I'm Leslie Palmer. And I'm Teresa Watson. We're so happy to have you with us tonight. In our top story, we'll report on a pregnancy resource center that's taking on the state of Vermont and its efforts to silence the pro-life centers. The director will join us to talk about how a pregnancy center rescued her from human trafficking and an attorney will tell us about the lawsuit. The first Republican debate was a lively affair, but among the missing was frontrunner Donald Trump. Instead of taking the stage in Wisconsin, Trump was featured on Twitter in a pre-recorded interview with former Fox host Tucker Carlson. We'll have more on both the debate and the interview. In Abortion in the News, Leslie will tell you the good news from Indiana and South Carolina and how prayer could be used against Wyoming Republicans. In political news in a nutshell, Teresa will report on a mutiny in the California Republican Party and the re-election plans of Utah Senator Mitt Romney. Alex Schadenberg of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition will talk about a Canadian man who allegedly mailed 1,200 suicide kits to people around the world. We'll close tonight with an interview with Marisol Maldonado Rodriguez, the author of Beyond Her Yes, who understands that convincing mothers to choose life is just the first step. The National Institute of Family and Life Advocates, NIFLA, and two pregnancy care centers are challenging Vermont state officials for unconstitutionally restricting the center's speech and provision of services. Alliance Defending Freedom Attorneys have filed a federal lawsuit on behalf of NIFLA and the two centers. In May, Governor Phil Scott signed SB 37 into law, impeding the ability of pro-life pregnancy centers to continue providing help and support to Vermont women and families. The law censors the center's ability to advertise their services and prohibits them from offering even non-medical services, information, and counseling unless provided by a licensed health care provider. Alliance Defending Freedom's legal counsel, Julia Payne, said women who become unexpectedly pregnant should be empowered with life-affirming options, emotional support, and practical resources. Vermont's law does the opposite. It impedes women's ability to receive critical services during a difficult time in their lives and suppresses the free speech rights of faith-based pregnancy centers. Pregnancy centers should be free to serve women and offer the support they need without fear of unjust government punishment. We have Julia Payne with us tonight, along with a very special woman who has testified in this case about her experience as a human trafficking survivor. Jean Marie Davis went on to become the first black female pregnancy center director in Vermont. Welcome to the show, ladies. Yes, thank you for having us. Well, so before we get into the case, um, Jean-Marie, you mentioned uh, in an opinion piece that your story puts the lie to this narrative and proves the beautiful truth of your work. Would you please share with us the abuse you endured during the 27 years you were trafficked and what led you to a pregnancy center for help? Uh, well, because of the fact that I dealt with uh, being threatened to be murdered or uh, raped or abused uh, over the years, whether it was people who were close to me or people um, that were my traffickers or uh, the people that uh, were paying for their services, uh, I ended up pregnant and I, I didn't want it, that life anymore. And so I ran for my life. Uh, knowing that people wanted to kill me. And when I went into a pregnancy center in New Hampshire, uh, the women there uh, shared Jesus with me and also gave me the opportunity to hear the heartbeat of my child. Uh, and for that, that's when I decided that, to change my life, to 
to have the opportunity to um, have my child. Well, your story is so moving. And now you're the director of Branches Pregnancy, Cent uh, Pregnancy Resource Center in Brattleboro. How did that come about? Well, uh, while I was at the hospital, working at the hospital in the HR department, um, I felt the, the urge and the need to help women uh, that were like me uh, trying to get help in, in any type of way. So I decided uh, to really uh, see how I can get involved and I had the opportunity to send, uh, to be handed a application for this, uh, the center here at Brattleboro. And when I was allowed to uh, come on board, uh, we have done amazing things. We have programs for women who have had abortions and need support um, after that uh, decision. And we have play, uh, women who come in and families that need uh, diapers, formula, uh, we also have a program for women and men and children who have been victims of human trafficking or domestic violence. Well, well, let's fast forward to the case against the state of Vermont. Julia, will you please tell us what led up to the lawsuit? Spending Freedom represents branches along with one other Vermont pregnancy center and the National Institute for Family and Life Advocates. Um, which is a national organization of pregnancy centers. And we're challenging a Vermont law that explicitly targets pro-life pregnancy centers. It only applies to those that do not provide or refer for abortion. And that law restricts the center's ability to advertise their services and to serve the women um, the, who need their help. So what are, what are you looking for in the lawsuit? We're um, looking for um, the court, we're asking the court to, um, to stop the law from being put into effect. Um, and so we're doing that on two grounds. One is that the law um, discriminates against the center's um, free speech. Um, and that's prohibited by the Constitution. And then the other is that the Constitution also prohibits laws that are too vague, um, that don't give the pregnancy centers enough guidance on what is and is not allowed. Well, Jean Marie, you testified about your experience before the Vermont Senate. What was that like? Uh, it was frustrating to see how the uh, state of Vermont is so uh, pro-abortion agenda uh, to where they would force uh, their agenda of making us have to follow what they say in a way where we would be fined $10,000 if we mislead, even to the point where one of our centers in Vermont is called Woman Center, and that they say is misleading and be we could be fine for just that. Um, and then not only that, but the fact that they're targeting pro-life um, organizations uh, that are not supporting their agenda for pro-abortion, it really disturbed uh, me when I was uh, testifying before the senators. Are you hopeful that you're going to win this case? Oh, I'm very, I, not just hopeful, but I know um, that we're going to win this case because the truth will be shown 
on how we are here to help women uh, with their choices and giving them the options to choose uh, and not just um, not going along with what the government is, is pushing for this pro-abortion agenda. Uh, but we are very excited knowing that the truth and what we truly do of helping women, men, and children uh, to make a better life for them. So if the court does rule against you, um, Julia, what recourse, if any, do you have? Well, there's a U.S. Supreme Court case, um, Alliance Defending Freedom represented California pregnancy centers, and the U.S. Supreme Court um, said that those centers should be free to serve women without fear of unjust government punishment and without discriminatory restrictions on speech. And so we're hopeful that um, that case um, will serve as precedent and will lead us to victory here. Great. Well, awesome. before we say goodnight, Jean Marie, where can our viewers go to find out more about Branches? Uh, well, there's a few places. You could go to www.branchesprc.com and you can check us out on our website. Or you could go to our Facebook or Instagram uh, links on social media and uh, follow us there. Great. I'd also well, like to add that you can go to adflegal.org to learn more about the case. Oh, great. Thank you. Wonderful. Hello. Thank you. Well, Julia and Jean Marie, thank you for taking the time to join us tonight and for sharing your amazing journey from being trafficked to saving lives. And uh, we just really appreciate it. So thank you and, and good night. Thank you for having me. forward to having you back on when, when you won the case. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Good, you. Night. Good night. Former President Donald Trump did not take part in the first Republican debate on Wednesday, but he was on everyone's mind nonetheless. Most of the eight candidates who met fundraising and other criteria to earn a place on the Milwaukee debate stage said they would still support Trump for president, even if he is convicted of the many criminal charges his critics have piled up against him. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, a known Trump hater, was booed numerous times through the debate, and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis worked hard to steer clear of the Trump topic. Former South Carolina Governor and U.S. Ambassador Nikki Haley said Trump is the most hated politician in the, in the country, while businessman Vivek Ramaswamy said Trump was the best president of the 21st century. As the Wall Street Journal pointed out, the debate candidates and the rest of the field that didn't qualify for the parley are basically competing to be number two, since Trump is still leading by a wide margin in the various polls. Trump's interview on X, formerly Twitter, was released during the debate and by Thursday morning had more than 150 million views. On abortion, co-host Martha McCallum called it a losing issue for Republican candidates, but Priests for Life National Director Frank Pavone, in a statement released after the debate, said that's not true. Nearly 10 minutes of last night's debate were focused on abortion, indicating first of, first of all the importance of the issue in the upcoming election. Of the eight candidates, six had something to say about it, and five of them have, as pro-life governors, signed legislation prohibiting some or all abortion. That fact alone contradicts the idea that abortion is a losing issue because you sign legislation only when the people's representatives give it to you, and half the states have done so, Pavone said. As for concrete legislation, a candidate for president should be committed to signing the most protective legislation that the people's representatives in Congress will bring to his or her desk. Former Trump advisor Kellyanne Conway said on Fox News that Haley might get a bump from the way she addressed the abortion issue. I think Nikki is going to get a second look from some people based on some stuff she said tonight on abortion. I'm very pro-life, but I like what she said, that you don't demonize or punish women. That's important. 
political pundits came to no consensus on who won the debate. GOP presidential hopefuls will meet again on September 27th at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute in Simi Valley, California. The South Carolina Supreme Court on Wednesday upheld the state's heartbeat law with a four to one majority ruling that women do have a right to bodily autonomy and privacy, but that those rights do not outweigh the interest of the unborn child to live. While the pro-abortion media is focusing on the fact that the court's justices are all men, Alan Parker, president of the Justice Foundation, noted that South Carolina has provisions to help women choose life. South Carolina cares for the mother's needs by providing free pregnancy care and postpartum care for all low-income mothers, Parker said, and no woman in South Carolina, even after this ruling, has to parent a child if she is not ready to do so for any reason. She has up to 60 days after birth to decide if she would like to safely surrender the baby at a designated safe place and be relieved of 18 years of parenting obligation. A law protecting nearly all babies from abortion is set to take effect in Indiana after the state Supreme Court on Monday denied a rehearing in the case brought by the American Civil Liberties Union. The state's highest court ruled June 30th that the abortion ban does not violate the Indiana Constitution. That removed a major hurdle to enforcing the ban Republicans approved last summer. Indiana's six abortion businesses stopped providing abortions late last month ahead of the law officially taking effect. We reported last week on the Center of Orlando for Women, which was fined $193,000 by Florida health officials for performing 193 same-day abortions in 2022 after a law requiring a 24-hour waiting period went into effect. There was speculation that the abortion business would have to close, but no such luck. Abortion enthusiasts in the state, including the facility's death courts, launched a fundraiser that has so far raised well over $100,000. On X, the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, the Orlando chapter of the Democrat Socialists of America urged people to donate to help, quote, build a better world. Unhappy with the judge's decision that left intact a Nebraska law that protects babies from abortion at 12 weeks, the nation's number one abortion seller has appealed. Planned Parenthood, aided by the ACLU, filed an appeal with Ruth Richardson, president and CEO of Planned Parenthood North Central States, vowing we will never stop fighting. A Beverly Hills abortion spa that had plans to abort babies through the ninth month but lost its lease prior to its planned October opening has taken legal action against landlord Douglas Emmett and the city. The organization Survivors of the Abortion Holocaust had targeted the Wilshire Boulevard location of DuPont Clinic for a month of activism, and hundreds of activists, including Priests for Life Brian Kemper, were at a rally in front of the facility last month when it was announced that the landlord had revoked the lease. DuPont actually had received a letter on June 12th from an attorney representing the landlord notifying them of the decision to rescind the lease. That letter alleges that DuPont failed to notify the landlord that the primary focus of the practice would be providing late-term abortions. DuPont also neglected to tell Emmett about frequent protests outside its Washington, D.C. killing center. Planned Parenthood in New Mexico has said it will have to concentrate on its first love, abortion, while curtailing other services to deal with an influx of women from states where laws protect babies from abortion. The abortion giant's five New Mexico mills are referring patients looking for wellness exams or tests for sexually transmitted infections to actual health clinics in the state, while Planned Parenthood doubles down on ensuring that women who have made the trip from Texas will head home without their unborn children. The America First Legal Group is suing the state of Washington and its governor, Jay Inslee, over a law that allows runaway children as young as 13 to stay in licensed youth shelters without their parents' knowledge, even if there are no signs of abuse. Until now, state law required shelters to notify parents within 72 hours. 
Shelters also can help minors get taxpayer-funded abortions and sex change hormones and surgeries without telling their parents. Washington state law allows unborn babies to be aborted for basically any reason up to birth and forces state taxpayers to pay for the killing. The new head of the Centers for Disease Control is all in for abortion. Dr. Mandy Cohen, who succeeded retiring CDC director Dr. Rochelle Walensky in July, told Time Magazine that protecting abortion was on her list of priorities. Cohen, the former health secretary for North Carolina, said, we will support however we can the work that's being done across the government to support women in their reproductive health. Five pro-lifers on trial in a Washington, D.C. federal court face up to 11 years in prison for actions they took last October outside a late-term abortion business in the nation's capital. The trial began August 9th and includes five people who have been charged with conspiracy and violation of the FACE Act, which makes it a federal crime to block an abortion business entrance. Another four pro-lifers will be tried separately. Operation Rescue's Ann Reed has reported that defense attorneys had planned to use photos and video footage of the remains of the aborted children to help make their case. But U.S. District Judge Colleen Kolar-Cotelli warned attorneys she would not allow claims that, de- that the defendants were acting in defense of other people, and she said they were not allowed to use certain words like infanticide, innocent lives, or abortion. At least four of the 12 jurors support legal abortion. Iowa Congressman Randy Feenstra, a Republican, has introduced the Protecting Girls with Turner Syndrome Act to prohibit the abortion of children with a genetic condition that affects 70,000 girls annually. In the syndrome, one of the two X chromosomes is missing, causing a variety of medical and developmental problems, including short height, failure of the ovaries to develop, and heart defects. But regular checkups and medical care can help most girls and women lead healthy, independent lives. My faith teaches me that God creates every child for a purpose and a reason, and every child, both born and unborn, has special gifts to offer this world, Feenstra said. And finally, Wyoming Republicans' pension for prayer can and will be used against them in a court of law, a county judge has ruled. At a meeting of the Wyoming Wyoming Freedom Caucus that was made public in a video, legislators discussed the need for prayer and the divine intervention that may have helped passage of the law that protects nearly all babies from abortion, and a second law that bans the sale of the abortion drug Mifepristone. Both laws have been blocked by Teton County District Court Judge Melissa Owens. This week, Owens ruled that the video is relevant to a lawsuit filed by abortion advocates who claim that a Christian policy is being illegally imposed on non-Christians. The pro-aborts also are questioning why the abortion ban has an exception for babies conceived in rape or incest, with the judge ordering the state to explain whether rape-conceived fetuses have less of a right to life than fetuses conceived with consent. And that's Abortion in the News. A rebellious campaign within the California Republican Party to break away from its historic opposition to abortion and same-sex marriage is dividing the party weeks before planned appearances by former President Trump and other GOP White House hopefuls. A proposed platform overhaul, which could be voted on at the state GOP's fall convention in Anaheim, is a remarkable break from conservative dogma in the state that nurtured Presidents Ronald Reagan and Richard Nixon. Political platforms, while largely symbolic, are supposed to embody a party's principles and core beliefs. Debate about modifying them often prompts prompts controversy. The California GOP proposal, which was adopted by a party committee in late July, supports traditional family values and a strong and healthy family unit. But it removes language that says it is important to define marriage as a union between one man and one woman. The draft also excises opposition to a federally protected right to abortion, while maintaining support for adoption as an alternative to abortion. 
longtime conservative leaders are appalled by the proposal, both over its content and its likelihood to create division at a key moment before the state's presidential primary. John Fleischman, a former state GOP executive director, said, quote, this will be extremely controversial and will, a- will take the convention that is supposed to be about unifying the party, and instead it ends up becoming a big feud. It's the last thing the party needs. The draft platform will be voted on at the state party's fall convention, which former President Trump, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, South Carolina Governor Senators Tim Scott, and other presidential candidates are expected to attend. If the party's delegates cannot reach consensus, the platform debate may be shifted to the spring gathering. Senator Mitt Romney, Republican from Utah, is mulling plans to run for re-election despite growing pro-Trump sentiment in the state. Romney, 76, won the Republican primary and election in a landslide victory in 2018, but a 2024 re-election run would likely come with a grueling GOP primary battle. Former President Donald Trump has made frequent attacks against the moderate Republican in recent years, making him an outsider in the Republican Party. Romney told the Wall Street Journal, I'll make my own decision based upon my assessment of what I would be able to accomplish in the second term. Just because I'm alone doesn't mean I'm wrong. You get to a point in life where it's not like sitting alone in high school in the cafeteria. While Romney has filed the paperwork to allow him to run, he has put little to no effort into fundraising. He pulled in less than $22,000 in individual donations in the second quarter of this year. Planned Parenthood launched its first campaign ad of the 2024 presidential election cycle in Wisconsin, just ahead of the Republican primary debate that occurred on Wednesday in Milwaukee. The new ad, airing on social media and streaming platforms, includes a collage of past statements from several Republican presidential candidates expressing support for national legislation restricting abortion. The ad opens with a clip of former Vice President Mike Pence, who has made his opposition to abortion rights a key part of his pitch, calling on every Republican candidate to support at least a national ban on abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. It also highlights prior comments from President Trump, Governor Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Tim Scott. Republicans currently lack the votes to get any abortion ban through both chambers of Congress, but anti-abortion groups have been pushing Republican candidates to advocate for national restrictions. Planned Parenthood officials say they're kicking off the presidential election cycle with a five-figure ad buy targeting Wisconsin voters and plan more expenditures related to the presidential campaign next year. X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, suspended the account of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' main supporting PAC on Wednesday. The Never Back Down PAC's account, at Never Back Down 24, was suspended early Wednesday morning, according to the organization's strategic communications director, Matt Wolking. X did not immediately respond to a request for clarification from Fox News Digital, though Wolking speculated that pro-Trump accounts engaged in mass reporting against the account. X says, it seems like our automated systems incorrectly picked it up as spam. We have asked X to tell us who exactly reported at Never Back Down 24 as spam. Woking continued from his personal account. Woking included screenshots of several ex-accounts allied former President Donald Trump, 
that were celebrating the account suspension. Given their celebration, we have asked X and Elon Musk to disclose whether these Trump-backed accounts and their affiliated bot network have recently engaged in mass reporting against the at Never Back Down 24 account in order to manipulate X's rules, he wrote. The suspension came just hours before the first GOP 2024 presidential primary debate was set to begin in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. As of late Wednesday morning, the account appears to have been reinstated, though its follower account remains in the triple digits far lower than prior to the suspension. And that's political news in a nutshell. Kenneth Law, 57, from Canada, is being investigated over a series of deaths by suicide linked to poisonous substances he sent by mail to people around the world. Arrested in May, he has been charged in Canada on two counts of counseling or aiding suicide. He is also being investigated by police forces in the UK, the United States, Italy, and New Zealand. Law, a former chef, allegedly offered sodium nitrite, a lethal substance, and other methods of committing suicide on now-defunct websites called M-Time Cuisine and Escape Mode. More than 1,200 packages are thought to have been ordered from these websites and delivered to people in 40 countries. Law first came to the attention of authorities following an investigation by the Times newspaper in April 2023. It originally linked him to four deaths, but now that number has climbed to at least 21 possible victims, the youngest of whom was 17 years old when he died. Here is what our friend Alex Schadenberg, Executive Director of Euthanasia, Pre Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, had to say about the crime. So thank you. My name is Alex Schadenberg, and I'm the Executive Director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. Recently, a man in the Netherlands named Alex S. was convicted of three and a half, for three and a half years in prison for being involved with the suicide deaths of 10 people. Now, there was possibly many, many more people who died. He was convicted based on distributing 1,600 packages of a suicide substance. And this has become a phenomenon that has not been just limited to Europe. In Canada, there's a case right now of a man named Kenneth Law, who has distributed 1,200 packages of a suicide substance, and he's done this over the internet. Uh, recently, there was a lawsuit by families in, uh, in the US, and I believe in the UK also, who so sued Amazon because Amazon was distributing uh, uh, packages for suicide purposes as well as instructions that were actually being sold by, uh, how would you say, one of the, uh, the sellers, but Amazon was allowing the sale. This has become a phenomenon of suicide being promoted and accepted throughout you know, basically the world. Uh, we have to be very concerned because a lot of these people who then take these these suicide packages are going through a emotionally or psychological time and they're feeling like life has lost meaning, purpose or value. So this has become the whole new push by the assisted suicide lobby to distribute these suicide packages. For instance, the group in the Netherlands is known as Exit. Now, I don't want to get into this too much about where to get these drugs or, or what these packages are can, can, uh, made of, of etc. What I can say is we need to be concerned about our children are teenagers, young adults who are going through deep depression because these these substances are now available online and people are dying. As I say, in the case of the Netherlands, Alex S uh, was accused of distributing 1,200 packages, and Kenneth Law from Canada, he was uh, he was uh, accused of distributing 1,600 packages of, as I say, a suicide substance. So we need to be aware that people are going through difficult times, and we have to try and make sure that this is not what they're getting involved in. Thank you very much.
Pregnancy resource centers are lifesavers for unborn children and can help see a mother through the first year of her child's life. For a woman living in generational poverty or dealing with domestic abuse, saying yes to her unborn child's life can be the easy part. The hard part is what comes next. That was the question our guest, Marisol Rodriguez, hoped to answer when she co-founded the Renew Life Center in Patterson, New Jersey. In her new book, Beyond Her Yes, she writes about the many needs these moms have and how the church can and must step in to provide continuing support. Welcome to the show, Marisol. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Marisol, I loved your book. It made me cry. It made me think. And it made me look up the website for the Pregnancy Resource Center right down the street for me to see how I can get involved. But you explain in Beyond Her Yes that Renew, the organization you co-founded and serve as executive director, it kind of picks up where pregnancy centers leave off. Tell us about the needs you saw among women who chose life and how Renew helps to meet those needs. Yes. Well, you know, I actually ran a pregnancy center for a few years um, in an urban city in New Jersey. So I was very um, privy to those needs. And, you know, the first and foremost need is the need for transformation, spiritual transformation and social transformation, because that's really what's leading them to make all the bad choices they're making that leads them to the abortion clinic that le and then hopefully diverts them to the pregnancy center. Um, they, from, they come from poverty, so they're already entrenched in poverty. And there's so many needs that they have. And unfortunately, they often lean on a partner to meet those needs as opposed to being self-sufficient. So um, one thing we'll see is we'll see women go from partner to partner, which unfortunately can sometimes mean baby to baby in order to get her needs met. And um, so they need to be taught self-sufficiency so that we can um, end that cycle of jumping from partners and the cycle of poverty that's been running throughout her family, probably for generations. Well, some of the women's stories that you tell in the book are so moving. Um, can you tell us about Amanda and how the email she sh uh, sent you changed your thinking? Yeah, that email was transformational for me. You know, Amanda came to the center and she was pregnant. She was considering an abortion. And one of our um, volunteer um, um, advocates spoke to her and thank God, you know, she had a change of heart and she chose life. But then about four months later, she sends me an email and in the email, she says, I don't know how to continue with this decision. And that right there just blew my mind because I mean, in New Jersey, at least she was still able to get an abortion at almost five months. So um, I learned several things from that. One is that um, her first yes is not her last yes. We need women who choose life to say yes again and again and again, even when they face hardships after they make that initial decision. Um, but also her email went on to say that her family wouldn't support her, that everybody was too busy for her, that she's living paycheck to paycheck and can't afford to buy anything you know, of the baby's needs. And then she ends the email saying, I don't want to be a failure. And that just got me right here. You know, as a mom, I know that I don't want to be a failure for my children either. And that woke me up because one thing I knew about Amanda or several things I knew about Amanda is number one, she was smarter than most of the women that come to my center. She had a college degree. She was um, a very articulate young woman and she had a full-time job as an elementary school teacher. And I started thinking if she can't get it together, <laughs> having all those things going for her, what is happening to my typical client that walks in with none of that? 
not even a high school diploma, coming from generational poverty. That's when it hit me that the needs these women were facing was really monumental. And it's not the role of the pregnancy center to get in that deep into these issues. Well, you talk in the book about the importance of having mentors for these women. So how do you recruit people to serve as mentors and, and what kind of skills should they have? Well, you know, I'll start with the skills part because it's very easy. They need basic life skills. Like people think they have to be some kind of professional and that helps. You know, I do have professional retired lawyers and nurses that mentor. And that's awesome when we have a young woman that wants to go into one of those fields and they have a mentor. We can match them up with a mentor that has that professional background. But basically, we need people with basic life skills that could teach a woman how to get a driver's license. These are things we do with our own children, right? We help our 17 year olds get their permits and their license. And these are women that sometimes mid twenties, early thirties, like don't even have a driver's license. So mentors help them accomplish basic things. Open a bank account, fill out an application, um, get a driver's license. Uh, it, it's really basic, you know? Um, and as far as getting mentors, I really rely heavily on churches and it's not easy. You know, it's really not easy getting these mentors. And there is a shortage. Like we have way more women we serve than we do mentors to help them. So um, if somebody knows the secret sauce to get into churches and getting more mentors, please share it with me. <laughs> so how have you been approaching the churches? You were mentioning, obviously, how, how important that is, and, and we all know that as a community, but how do you approach them? What Have you had any success with, with oh, churches? Yes, I've had some success with it. Um, I think that, I think that it... I approach them basically finding contacts in a church. That's the first thing you have to do. You know, just like anything, a cold call doesn't usually lead to much. So knowing someone there, knowing someone that knows someone is very helpful. Um, what I would like to do and I haven't done yet is, you know, just approach all respect life offices of every parish I can find. You know, that's one way. But I recently um, came to knowledge of that. But um, really is emailing and calling and getting contacts at the church. Someone, maybe a volunteer, I'll ask them to go back to their church and try to recruit more volunteers to mentor. So um, that is really the, the way we're doing it now. Well, before you go, please tell us about Julita's and the way you personally changed her life and the lives of her children. Yeah, Julita's is such an unexpected story because it just... Um, yeah, it just blew my mind. But Julita's, um, yeah, she's been living with me. Well, right now she's not living with me anymore. I'm happy to say Julita's has gotten married, which is awesome. And, um, you know, she's starting out her life with her husband. And um, it's still hard, you know. Overcoming poverty is not easy. It doesn't happen overnight. But um, the Julita's story is, is, I think that it's a story I had to live because God really had to teach me how to serve people. You know, even in the life transformation ministry we're in, we have to remember that transformation belongs to the Lord, right? So he's the one that transforms lives, not us. And he does it as his pace. So um, the Jolita story really taught me that um, we need to love the women we serve where they're at. We need to love them at the pace that they move. They may be moving slower than we'd like. They may not make all the decisions we like, but you know, it's, 
it's reflective of our relationship with God as well, right? We don't always make the decisions that he'd like us to make and so forth. So it was really like looking in a mirror, you know, looking at my relationship with Julides is really a reflection of my of my reflection of God with me, you know, as my heavenly father. So, um, but it was a journey, it was a long journey and it was tough. There were times that it was really messy, um, but I'm glad just like family, we stuck it out. Um, she has grown into, you know, a, a confident young woman who is now married to a man who really cares for her. And, um, and, and it's all good. So, you know, God is good. That's true. Well, not everyone can open their homes the way Marisol and her family did, but everyone can go and find some way to help. So go to RenewLifeCentralNJ.org to find opportunities to help and get a copy of Beyond Her Yes at Amazon and other booksellers. Yeah. Marisol, thank you so much for joining us and for oh. everything you do to help women and their families. It's thank amazing. you for having me. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. If you like our show, please support us by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priest for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating God's people to end abortion. For all your pro-life news updates during the week, please follow us on Twitter at ProLife News Show. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.